It's time for episode 219 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, December 13th, 2017. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the only tech podcast that, like Mother's Heartbeat, will soothe the cries of a newborn puppy. I am your host, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across these beautiful United States, well, halfway at least, by Dan Morin. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing okay. I don't know anything about puppies, uh, so that went right over my head. You put a clock clock inside of their kennel whenever they're little puppies, and it sounds like Mama's Heartbeat, and they will be less lonely and less likely to... You cry. You're saying they keep watching the clock. They keep watching the clock and hope right. that uh, it's their mother. <laughs> uh, well, of course, you all know how this show works. We have four. We have two guests, not four guests. That'd be quite a few. Two guests, four topics, and uh, it's time to introduce those guests. To my left is web editor at the Texas Standard and author of iOS Access for All, Shelley Brisbane. How you doing, Shelley? I'm great, Mike. I didn't know there would be puppies. I'm excited. <laughs> everybody gets one at the end of the show. Asterisk, Yay. asterisk, asterisk. <laughs> lawyers have advised me, not everybody gets a puppy. Uh, not valid in all states. To my left, the first time we're here on Clockwise, he's coming to us from way down under, and I don't even want to know what time it is there, senior lecturer in educational technology, Dr. Michael Cowling. Hi, Michael. Hi there, Dan. How are you going? It is a crisp morning here in Australia. <laughs> I can only believe it. Well, we're delighted to have you here. Well, seeing as I am the host to head things off this week, it's time to break into the show. We've got 30 minutes, and I would like to know, uh, we're going to take a look back. It's time for a wireless charging retrospective. So now that many flagship devices for iOS and also Android have wireless charging, I just want to hear about your experience with uh, wireless charging. Do you like it? Do you not like it? Uh, what are some things you could see improved upon? And uh, what are your thoughts all in all? Shelley, we'll start with you. You know, I wish I could enjoy the delights of wireless charging, but I insist on keeping my iPhone 8 in a case, and that prevents me from enjoying it. And I I guess I could pop it out to put it on a little wireless charging plate, but, you know, that's no more or less trouble than connecting it to a cable. So unless somebody gives me an iPhone just for this thing, I I really would love to do it. I would love if uh, wireless charging didn't, if the barrier of a case did not prevent it from happening, but obviously that's a choice I've made. So... I don't have anything interesting to say other than I wish I could play with everyone else in the wireless charging waters. Well, Shelly, it depends because I have a case on mine and it works just fine. So it probably depends on uh, how thick your case, case is. It's a leather case. It's a nice, it's a kind of a thick wallet case. Okay. I okay. Assist on. Yeah, no, I've got a, like just a sort of a plastic shell on mine and I have a Samsung fast charger here, which is the, um, the stand model so it sort of props it up at like a 45 degree angle i like it quite a bit it works well on my desk because i can still glance over like if notifications pop up i can glance over and with the face id attention alert it'll you know unlock and display those notifications um and in general i've found i haven't really gotten a chance to run through its paces as far as speed is concerned because usually i'm sitting at my desk in the morning and it's not like i've done anything with my phone yet so the charge isn't super low um but i've been Generally pretty impressed with it. Um, I don't believe this model supports the fast charging that was unlocked by iOS 11.2. 
I think so far that's only on the Belkin and Mophie chargers that Apple sells in its own stores, um, even though the Samsung does have a fast charging capability. Um, it really, in the end, I'm holding out for the air power because I want to be able to charge my watch at the same time, although my watch doesn't support that. So I'm going to guess I'm going to need a new watch. Um, so in general, I, I'm pretty big fan of it. It works fairly well. Um, obviously, you'd like to see faster charging. You'd like to see more range so you don't have to use the sort of contact pads. But uh, I'm I'm bullish on it so far. Michael, what do you think? Look, I, I, I'm still stuck on an iPhone 7 in a two-year contract, but I, I did have a play with wireless charging a while back with one of those adapters that you connect to the lightning port and put in your case. Mm. And um, it works pretty well. It was pretty good. Uh, but one of the issues was that you do have to place the phone right on the right on the charger that's sitting there on your nightstand. If you don't get it just right, then it doesn't charge properly. So I think I'd love to see that that improves somewhere. I'd love to be able to throw my phone on the nightstand in general and it just charges my mm. phone. But apart from that, it's a, it's a good technology. It definitely uh, was fun to be able to not have to plug that lightning cable in. Wow. That last part there, what Michael just said, I would love it if my whole uh, the whole top of my nightstand was just wireless charging pad and I could just pop it down there and it would work. Of course, in a perfect world, um, I would have you know, the ability to walk around inside of my house and uh, in a Tesla future, uh, Nikola Tesla, not not the cars, <laughs> it, you know, you just walk around and, and have things charging wirelessly. That said, I used to really poo-poo wireless charging because the term itself is a problem for me because there are still wires involved in different places. Um, but I am like Scrooge at the holiday times. I've been visited by the ghosts of wireless charging past and I'm coming around for Wow. I really do like just uh, leaning over and popping my phone down on the little wireless charging pad or in the case of my desk, just dropping it there and not thinking too much, not having to dig for the wire or find the cord or have to do cord management. You're so, a new man, Micah. <laughs> I'm a new man. <laughs> and my heart grew three sizes <laughs> that day. Uh, thank you all for your answers. Let's go to Shelly for her topic. So the news this morning is that Apple is spending $390 million on a manufacturing plant, investing in a company that will be manufacturing the kind of lasers that are used in Face ID and uh, the True Death ca Depth camera in the iPhone 10. And I'm super excited because this is going to be in my home state of Texas. So yay, jobs for everybody or for some people. So I was thinking Apple has a habit of uh, either buying companies or investing large amounts of money in, in companies, and they, they have quite a bit of cash with which to do it. So let's say that uh, you have access to Apple's checkbook, or maybe you can do it with Apple Pay. Uh, what one uh, technology or company, if you only had one, uh, would, you, would you like to invest a little bit of Apple's uh, coin in? Uh, Shelly, I'm just going to capitalize on your Freudian slip there and say that the true death lasers are the scariest thing <laughs> Apple's ever invested in. <laughs> Very dangerous. Those are bad. <laughs> Watch out for those. Um, so the one technology I think that Apple really should be putting a lot of money in is, and it's, I'm sure already doing this, um, is battery tech. Uh, because battery tech is the one thing that really is not only uh, almost universal across Apple's product lines, you know, MacBooks all the way down to iPhones, but... It's so it's one of those last sort of major limiting factors in terms of how we use our devices. We just talked about wireless charging and obviously the ability to be able to not have to worry about your phone dying on you at the end of the day or after a couple days would be a huge deal. I sort of see it as the same sort of quantum shift that we saw when we went from having wired ethernet to wireless ethernet, right? All of a sudden you could use access the internet 
from anywhere. You didn't have to be sitting at a desk tethered to a cable. And that really enabled not only uh, a huge jump in the the use of technology around, say, college campuses, for example, uh, but it also paved the way for things like smartphones and tablets that we can take anywhere with us and be connected at all times. Uh, So the battery technologies, I think the last thing uh, holding it back, there are a lot of interesting little startups and companies doing new types of battery technology, and I don't think that anybody's quite cracked the uh, the major answer yet. I'm sure Apple is watching those things with interest, but yeah, I would I would dump a ton of money into that. So yeah, look, I'm I'm still reeling about the idea of having access to Tim Cook's checkbook. That seems absolutely amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but if, if I were to invest in a technology with that, uh, then I think the technology I'd invest in is is probably virtual reality. And that's because I was really surprised at WWDC that Apple is going hard on virtual reality, but it's all with a partner. It's all using HTC Vive, and that just doesn't seem like an Apple thing to do. Apple tends to want to support the entire software and hardware along the entire stack. And so the idea of saying, well, you can have VR as long as you buy this headset from HTC doesn't seem like Apple at all. And of course, a lot of other companies are doing this. Microsoft have got headsets out and and Samsung are are, are doing their own hardware as well. And and so the idea uh, that Apple wouldn't do that surprises me. I I would not be surprised to see them buy a VR company and and try and integrate that in-house. Well, VR was going to be my answer, but somebody <laughs> stole it. Um, I guess if, if you know, Tim Cook has already written the check for virtual reality. The other thing is uh, Apple continues to talk about their services business every time the um, the the calls come up, the, the calls for however much money they've made in a quarter. Their earnings report, that's the term I was looking <laughs> for. Um, and I would know because I transcribe those live while the earnings call is going on. Um, and so I would like to see Apple make some investments more in in streaming, in, you know, in movie and music streaming, as well as their uh, file management and, and their server infrastructure type stuff. Because I think still people are hesitant about things like iCloud drive and they're coming around but um it, to have it be as solid as something like dropbox would be fantastic and for collaboration in like pages online for that to not be a joke would be pretty great so any any money they could throw towards services and any companies there uh, i think would be pretty cool so i knew i was going to go last and i figured that what i was going to say would get stolen and i was right so I'll give you my backup pick. And I went really small bore on this and very specific to a particular group of folks that would love to have this. Um, there is a device called the ref- a refreshable Braille display uh, mm. that blind iOS users have been able to use to read Braille and to also interact with the uh, the commands from the voiceover screen reader on their iOS devices or on their Macs, for that matter, for a long time. That technology has gotten a lot cheaper and there are a lot of companies trying to build new kinds of uh, Braille displays because the Braille cells themselves have been quite expensive. But nobody's managed to do it with the fit and finish that an Apple would. And I would love to see Apple, who supports all of these devices that exist, many of which are based on Android, and I'm less concerned about the software than just really solid hardware that works. Not inexpensive because Apple doesn't do inexpensive, but given the fact that the technology makes it possible to do a far less expensive device than has been in the past, I'd like to see Apple create a really slick, modern Braille display that just works and that is not as fiddly as a lot of the uh, the newer devices are right now. That would be awesome. 
Well, the while the puppies are soothed and uh, fast asleep, let's go ahead and hit the halftime. Uh, our show this week is brought to you by Linode. Linode has fast and powerful hosting options that you can get set up in seconds. Their tools are easy to understand, and they let you choose your resources and Linux distro, giving you the power and flexibility you need. And guess what? Linode plans now start at just five bucks a month for a Linux server with a gig of RAM, all in the Linode cloud. Linode has over 400,000 customers who are all serviced by their friendly 24-7 support team. Somebody's always there, ready to listen. You can email them, call them, or even chat over IRC in the Linode community. If you need help, Linode is there for you. Linode's control panel is beautifully designed with a focus on ease and simplicity, and it allows you to deploy, boot, resize, and clone in just a few clicks. I wonder if you can clone humans. They have comprehensive guides and support documentation to teach you everything you need to know for setting up and managing your virtual servers. They feature two-factor authentication to keep you safe, and you can create snapshot images of your disk volumes for backup and replication. Linode is the full package for your server infrastructure needs. They've got the power you require, as well as the infrastructure and assistance you want. Linode's pricing options are fantastic. You can get a server with a gig of RAM for just five bucks a month, and it can go all the way up to 16 gigs of RAM for just 60 bucks a month. Across the board, Linode is offering twice the amount of RAM you're going to get elsewhere. As a listener of this very show, if you sign up at linode.com slash clockwise, you won't only be supporting us, you're also going to get $20 towards any plan. And remember, those plans start at just 5 bucks. With a 7-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose. So, go to linode.com slash clockwise to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit. Or you can just use the promo code clockwise2017 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for supporting our show and our network. Dan, let's go to you. All right, so the iMac Pro is starting to ship tomorrow as we record this, and there's a lot of excitement about it. But I have to take a step back and ask, is the era of the big, powerful desktop computer really still miraculously alive? Or is this merely forestalling the inevitable? Is this the the sort of high-end car that not a lot of people buy, but it sort of pushes the envelope and shows people what it can do? But really, everybody's buying much cheaper cars. Is there a future for, for desktop still? Michael, what do you think? I suppose it depends whether you're talking about um, Macs or whether you're talking about the desktop form factor. I mean, there's a lot of argument that the desktop form factor should ex- still exist, even if that device is actually an iOS device. Uh, but as as well as that, I think you could make an argument that the, the iMac Pro and computers like it will still exist for the foreseeable future as well. Uh, this is, I guess, where I talk about trucks and and cars and motorcycles, <laughs> and and eventually somebody is going to need a truck, and I think somebody's always going to need a truck. The, the challenge for Apple is going to be that over time, less and less people are going to need the powerful machine, and so is it possible for them to continue to sell a line of iMacs, uh, or is it just the iMac Pro that they sell, or is it just one single desktop machine? Yes, I, I this is, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know. Um, I, I think that, you know, we keep hearing that Apple very much cares about the Mac line and very much cares about um, all of its super pro users who complain about these things. And we've seen some issues with some of the devices that are out there right now that are supposed to be powerful machines. And we've seen some Folks sort of uh, commenting on how the best machines that Apple sells, it actually doesn't sell right now because they're machines of the past. Um, 
this the iMac Pro is awesome and I'm glad that it's here and that Apple, you know, seems to be working and continuing to innovate my um behind but um i i don't know how much longer that lasts and sort of where we're looking in the future and and how technology will sort of evolve in the future and how we might not need these machines anymore so uh ultimately what i've just said is a longer version of that little emoticon that's just shrugging because that's how i feel inside <laughs> i think i agree with Almost everything Michael said, especially about the the market and whether Apple can back continue to make machines that I think people need, whether it's for uh, creative tasks or for uh, building software for AR and VR and other high performance type of applications. Uh, the trouble is, can Apple uh, make enough money selling those things that not only do they continue to show profit, but do they have the incentive and the resources to continue to make great machines. I mean, one could argue that some of the problems with those machines have had to do with the uh, lack of focus on those machines and, and pointing toward other things like iOS. And it's not only about whether you can write the check to do the R&D, but whether you have a team that is focused on making that machine the best it possibly can be, especially if your market is going to be limited. And that's where I worry about Apple specifically. But I still feel like there is going to be demand out there for a high-performance computer, whether it runs iOS or macOS is, is less important than that it have the power to you know, put, the, put the processing where it's needed. Yeah, I think I think Michael, you made the the adroit comparison that the the form factor and the platform are probably independent, and that you know we probably will still have a need for big, powerful machines that sit on desks for for many people, not for everybody, but for some people who are doing particular types of professional work. Like Shelley was saying, you really need that power that you can get out of a desktop because the desktop doesn't have the constraints of a laptop or a smartphone or a tablet. Um, you can have as much, you know, much horsepower as you want in there. You can have it connected to power all the time. All of those things let you do a lot more with it. Um, but I am curious to see, like, sort of how the iMac Pro does overall. I mean, Apple traditionally doesn't break out individual mod models in terms of reporting sales figures. But if we, you, you can read the tea leaves and sometimes you'll they'll hear them say whether something did particularly well or or what have you. So I'm kind of curious to see how the iMac Pro goes because I think, I mean, there is still a promised Mac Pro coming down the pike at some point. Uh, and it's interesting as a decision for them to focus very heavily now on the professional end. But, but maybe that makes sense. Maybe the lower end consumer stuff is what's getting eaten up by iPads and iPhones. Um, so I think the desktop will persist, but it might look a little bit different. I've had at least a couple people say to me that what they really want is a 27-inch iPad Pro. <laughs> so I guess there's a market for it. Uh, thanks for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our final topic, which comes from Michael. Okay, so what I want to talk about today is I want to talk about ARKit, uh, in particular for education. And the reason I want to do this is because with ARKit being added to iOS 11, uh, Apple now has what they claim is the largest install base of, of, of augmented reality devices in the world. And combined with that, of course, we're seeing schools uh, adding more and more iOS devices to schools. So for instance, my kid's school has a one-to-one -one policy. Every kid in the school has to have an iPad. And so I think we've, we've got this install base of a very large amount of AR devices across many, many different schools. And so I'm interested to hear from you. Uh, cast your mind back, think about your own education and think about how AR might have changed your own school experience. And then also, what do you think it might be used for in this new classroom of the future that we might be seeing? 
When I was uh, getting prepped for AR kit uh, hitting hitting the or you know hitting iOS officially and and launching, and we were writing about it. My jaw dropped as I was looking through apps uh, that were going to include AR kit, and there was one that was about anatomy. And right in front of me, I was able to see the human heart beating and the lungs that surrounded it, and you know the lungs breathing and you know, walk all the way around it or uh, segment it and see inside those opportunities whenever you can't have a hands-on experience uh, to have what is just uh, as close to a hands-on experience as you possibly can have with the technology that we have right now. I think that ARKit is perfect for that kind of thing. Uh, thinking back, I would certainly be more engaged with anatomy, with with biology, and seeing those processes play out if I could see more than just a, you know, a page in a book. And I can remember, you know, a teacher, a biology teacher playing a video where it showed like, little proteins walking across chains and carrying big globules of, of uh, substrate or whatever. And I'm probably getting all those terms wrong. But I loved seeing those videos of those things, uh, those processes in action. And to be able to see those in virtual space would add even more excitement and more wonder to those things. So I think in the future, it's just going to be, again, sort of making things available to people and and to children that they would not otherwise have so that they can get as close to hands-on as possible. Because I think that's what really engages a lot more people than sort of just looking at a, a photocopied page in black and white and saying, that is exactly what this is. So very cool stuff. Uh, very cool possibilities there. Charlie, what about you? The two thoughts I had were anatomy and uh, geography. Um, I'm going to bring it back to accessibility a little bit because when I was in elementary school, we had tactile maps and tactile models of the human body, and they were great. And they were they were done for people with visual impairments, and that was awesome. But augmented reality presents so much more opportunity for real interaction with those kinds of experiences, especially geography, where. Uh, giving some sort of non-visual representation or a, a representation that is both visual and descriptive of a map and terrain and all that kind of stuff. It just seems like an incredible opportunity. And what's great about it, too, is that you can take existing you know, base apps and then augment them, augment the augmented reality even further for the specific needs of somebody who may have a visual disability or some other disability that prevents them from interacting in the same way everyone else does. But I just I think that would be so amazing. And uh, anatomy and geography were only the first. I think any any science certainly has a lot of applications. And I actually think history, my sort of my favorite subjects back in school were history and social studies. And I believe having some sort of augmented reality where you can create an experience that's more immersive. It could be VR or it could also just be AR where you're you're interacting with timelines and you're interacting with historical events in a way that is is much more three-dimensional than what we read on the page. Yeah, Shelley, you, you veer there into what I was going to talk about at the end there, which is the humanities and the social sciences, since that's my background. Um, but I think particularly something like studying, so I took some courses studying Shakespeare, and I think what's fascinating about Shakespeare is that we all sit down and we read it in school oftentimes. And maybe if you have a particularly interactive class, you might do like a little bit of reading aloud or maybe some sort of light acting. But the staging and the like presentation of the plays is so important to understanding and really absorbing the material that being able to get a sort of immersive experience into what it was like 
to be on stage or to be watching one of these productions. You know, I think about going to London and visiting the Globe Theater and watching Shakespeare there as it was performed in the, you know, in its original t- sort of time and setting. Um, it's it's very interesting. It illuminates a lot of things. It teaches you things about it that you can't get from just reading the text on the page. And I think, as Shelley was saying about history, too, I mean, there are so many... Uh, opportunities there to provide an immersive experience and have these situations come alive and be able to interact with them and in a real sort of 3d space that you can't get necessarily off the page and it's not to say that you know reading uh information in books is is passe in any way it's still uh, a good way to learn things but you can supplement it and enhance it with these experiences and i would love to have had something like that in school uh, I think maybe by the time I got to college, we finally had textbooks with like CD-ROMs in them. But like, <laughs> you know, it was a uh, it was a little bit more low tech. Michael, any last thoughts? Yeah, look, yeah, like, uh, the books are, uh, aren't passe, but I must admit that when I uh, thought about this question, I was thinking about uh, learning Russian economics back in in high school and sitting there with these <laughs> massive four hundred page textbooks open and thinking, geez, there must be a, a better way. So I I can imagine going out onto the school oval and, and and experiencing something, some scenario that really helps me to understand this. Uh, just like Shelley was saying, or like you were saying about social science and history, Dan. I think uh, I think that would be an amazing way to use AR to make all of that dry, boring stuff uh, much more interesting. But but thank you everyone for your thoughts. I'm I'm frantically taking notes now for my. Future future research projects so <laughs> appreciate it there we go well we have reached the end of the show and we have just enough time for a bonus question our bonus question this week is brought to you by our friends at squarespace if you enter the offer code clockwise at checkout you're going to get 10 percent off your first purchase squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain award-winning templates and more you are going to have the best website possible. Maybe you want to create an online store or a portfolio or a blog. Well, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. You don't have to install anything. There aren't patches to worry about. No upgrades are required. You don't have to worry about any of it because Squarespace has it all covered for you. Got award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name and all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed for you to show off your great ideas. In fact, they just came out with some new ones that I've been eyeballing that are pretty doggone awesome. I have talked about Squarespace before. I love it because of the fact that they've always got the latest technologies available and with relative ease to get them set up, like HTTPS support and Apple Pay and all those things. You just get an email. It's like, hey, this is available. So just go in and flip a switch. I'm like, yes. So Squarespace plans start at just 12 bucks a month. And you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. Now, when you decide to sign up, you're going to use the offer code clockwise, and that's going to get you 10% off your first purchase. And of course, that means you will be showing your support for our show. Thank you, Squarespace, for your support. Squarespace, make your next move. Make your next website. The bonus question for all of you is, uh, what's your favorite holiday tradition? And if you don't have one of your own, then what's one that you've heard about that you would like to adopt for yourself? Shelley, we'll start with you. My family celebrates St. Nicholas Day. Don't think of Krampus and all that good stuff. It's just uh, exchanges of stockings. And as my niece, who's 14, the other day pointed out, it's just a lot of candy and alcohol going back and forth amongst my family members. <laughs> and we share a one-pot meal. So it's, it's, a, it's a great evening. December 6th is when we do this. Sign me up for the uh, candy and alcohol. <laughs> 
Um, I we just started this last year, so and I think it's going to be a tradition going forward. So I'm kind of ensuring it will be by talking about the show. But my girlfriend and I went out to Target, and we basically set a like twenty dollars, go around the store, buy ridiculous things that all go into the stockings, and any money that you have left over not from that twenty dollars has to go in the stockings. So <laughs> you end up with some pretty great ridiculous things. So uh, something that we I've noticed this year that a friend of ours is doing is that they're uh, laser cutting custom ornaments for the Christmas mm. tree, and I, I really like it because it gives you a chance to uh customize what your year felt like and uh, i i won't tell you what their ornament was for this year but it was an interesting reflection of uh of the year that was and i, I think that's a really great tradition <laughs> uh we typically have uh thanksgiving at my grandma's house and each group that comes brings a bag of mini marshmallows and after the Thanksgiving meal, usually my grandma is the one to get it started, but it's sort of whoever thinks of it first will pop open a bag of mini marshmallows in secret and launch the first mini marshmallow. And then we have an all out marshmallow fight ah, nice. uh, where we're just hurling marshmallows at each other and dive bombing behind tables and things like that. And uh, of course, we clean them up afterward. But the best thing and my grandma's favorite part of it is uh, later in the year, inevitably, she'll find one like hidden behind a cuckoo clock or- <laughs> or in the spice rack or something where we missed cleaning it up. So the Marshmallow Wars of Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday tradition. Good answers all around. And my goodness, Dan, I think we've uh, reached the end of the episode. All that's left is to thank our awesome guests, Shelly Brisbane. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was fun. And Michael Cowling, thank you for joining us at um, what I'm sure is an insanely early hour. Not a problem at all, Dan. It's back to bed for me in about 10 minutes. <laughs> so, well, so glad to have you here. Thanks, Micah. Back to bed for me too, Micah. But first, we should remind everybody <laughs> that we'll be back next week. Until then, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.